0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the fifth chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat and when he had finished speaking he said to simon put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch and simon answered master we toiled all night and took nothing but at your word i will let down the nets when they had done this they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him." This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. What an inconvenience for Peter to be told to get back into his boat and set out to sea after he'd just finished a night of fishing. He was already out of the boat cleaning the nets. What an inconvenience to have this man show up, step foot into his boat and ask him, hey, could I go for a ride? When I pull the boat out of the water, I'm usually done having the boat in the water. Worst of all is when I pull the boat out and I get up on shore and I find out it's crooked and I have to go back in, straighten it out. I'm always just happy getting home with the same number of children that I have left with and nobody's got a hook in their eye. You get in the boat and tell me to put it back in the water and I'm gonna be frustrated. What an inconvenience for Peter. And yet something marvelous is happening in our gospel lesson. It's easy to overlook it. In fact, really, until I studied this text this week, I never noticed what a miracle it is that Peter even listens at first. That he listens when Jesus tells him to get in the boat again, to put out to water, so that Jesus can teach the crowds. The crowds who were pressing around at Jesus to listen to the Word of God. What a beautiful thing. I kind of feel like that this morning. Here you are pressing in on one another in the heat and humidity to hear the word of God. What a beautiful thing. I don't know why Peter was there where Jesus was teaching. It might have just been happenstance that that was where he landed his boat and that was where he was cleaning his nets, but nonetheless, something went to work on him. He heard the word of God, and so when Jesus says, please, let's get back in your boat and go out to sea, Peter listens, and he obeys in spite of the fact that it is a massive inconvenience, toiling all night, I'm tired, and I just want to go to bed. It's easy for us to think of Christianity as just one series of inconveniences after another. In fact, that's really common, thinking about Christianity as just having to endure some inconveniences. So many of you may rather be sleeping this morning. You may rather be at home, cuddled up in your pajamas, Getting a few extra hours of sleep before the week begins. What an inconvenience that God calls you to church. And yet here you are. What a marvelous thing. An inconvenience that in order to support the work of the church, I have to give some of my hard-earned money. An inconvenience that I have to get by with a little less. What an inconvenience that Jesus says when someone insults me, I should turn the other cheek. Okay, fine. I'll do it. Even though it hurts me. I don't like it. What an inconvenience. What an inconvenience to have to forgive your brother as many times as he repents. Not just one time or seven times, but seventy times, seven times. What an inconvenience. Sure takes away from my pride. It takes time out of my day. I'd rather just write him off. What an inconvenience to have to love the people that God puts into our lives. It's easy to think of Christianity as one series of inconveniences that we just sort of put up with. Okay, fine. I've done it. I've gotten through it. Okay, fine. We got back into the boat and pushed out to sea. Am I good now? Is everything okay now? Can we move on? That's not what happens in our gospel lesson this morning. I want you to see how the life of a Christian progresses beyond thinking about it merely as some inconveniences that you put up with for status or for privilege or to think yourself better than others Jesus asks us to do things because they're good for us. And they're good for our neighbors. And Peter believed it. Peter believed, somehow, that this was the right thing to do. Even though it contradicted everything he knew. I'm going to get back in the boat. I'm going to push off from shore. And I'm going to listen to this guy. Unless you think that being a Christian is just a matter of enduring some inconveniences, see what happens next. Jesus continues teaching, and when he pauses for a moment, he says to Peter, go out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch of fish. Now, it's kind of hard for us to put some perspective on this, but Peter was a professional fisherman. He knew what he was doing when he toiled all night. He knew the best time and the best place to catch the fish. And so when Jesus comes along and says, now, in the middle of the day, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch of fish, Jesus is essentially saying, I know how to do your job better than you do. I know better than you what you claim to be an expert about. Peter objects. Now, I would love to know the tone of voice that Peter used when he objected. Lord, we've toiled all night and we haven't caught anything. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. What was it like? Or was he humble? Lord, we've toiled all night and haven't caught anything. But you're saying so. You're saying that we're going to catch something, and I believe you. I'd love to know. I'd love to know. But you can see how Peter is conflicted, at the very least, with what his eyes know, his eyes see, his heart knows, what everybody around him understands. He's conflicted, because Jesus is here saying, you need to do something different from how you thought you were supposed to do it. You need to do something completely different from the way the world tells you to do it. If you pay attention, you'll recognize... But this is how the Christian life works. We think that we know what it takes to be successful, to get ahead in this life, to do well for ourselves. And Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Keep yourselves free from the love of money. Take all that you have and give it to those in need. Jesus says, do that. And we say, Lord, but if I had just a little bit more money, everything would be okay." Lord, but if I could just have a little bit more success, if this one thing could go better for me, everything would be okay. And Jesus says, no. Jesus says, you have everything in me. Leave all of that behind. We think we know relationships. We think we know how to deal with one another. We think we know marriage. And we say things like, I've got this figured out. I know how to live in love with other people. And then Jesus comes along and says, sacrifice for your brothers give up your life for them greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for a friend be chaste keep the marriage bed undefiled and we say things like lord but we really love each other we're really committed to each other it's going to be okay lord we really want to be together we're not ready for marriage but we really want to be together we think we know better than jesus he won't let us have it Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And we say, yes, I've tried that, and it didn't work. Lord, I've tried it. Where's the success? How can that possibly be? Forgive and forgive again. Lord, I've done that over and over. This is not working. I've toiled all night, and I've caught nothing. That's the nature of the Christian life. For Jesus to tell us something is good and for us to object because we think we know better. Train up your children in the fear of the Lord. And we say, Lord, but I want my kids to be successful and normal. I don't want them to be weirdos like everyone else. Lord, I want them to get ahead in this life. Lord, we're tired. We don't have time to read the scriptures. We don't have time to pray. We say that we think we know what it is to serve God. And God comes to us and says, look, the sacrifices that I desire are a broken heart, a broken spirit, and a contrite heart I will not despise. And we say, Lord, but can't I just say I'm sorry? Can't I just say I'm sorry and have you forgive my sins? Lord, can't I just put my offering in the plate and that be enough? Lord, can't I just come to church on Sunday morning and isn't that enough? What does he want from us? But that we despair of ourselves that we give up on ourselves and put our trust in Him alone. We think we know. We think we're experts. We think we're professionals at living this life. And Jesus comes along and He says, go out into the deep and cast down your nets for a catch of fish. Notice, Notice this, that when Jesus prescribes this action for Peter, there is no doubt, no uncertainty. He doesn't say, let down your nets and maybe you'll catch a fish. He doesn't say, I caught fish there the other day. Go and check it out. That seems to be a good spot. He says, let down your nets for a catch of fish. It's going to happen. The question here is not whether or not Jesus can accomplish this. This is an important thing to know about the miracle in this text. There is no doubt about whether or not Jesus can produce such a catch of fish that is sinking two boats. It's trivial for him. He's the one who created the fish and the sea and the boat and the man fishing. It's trivial. The question is not, can he, but has he promised to do it? And if he has promised to do it, then there can be no doubt and see how it pays off. We don't know Peter's Stone. He objects, but he says these most faithful words. Lord, at your word, we'll let down the nets. Let those be the words that you utter every day, day in and day out. Lord, at your word. At your word, in spite of what I can see, in spite of what I know, in spite of the inconvenience, in spite of everything my flesh or the world around me says, Lord, at your word, I will do as you have commanded because I know that it is good for me." Peter obeys. He believes. And he is rewarded for it. Now, it doesn't always work out that you get to see so many fish. In fact, I think maybe it's worth noting that Peter probably didn't want so many fish. It's good to catch fish when you're a fisherman, but it's not good to catch enough fish, so many fish, that you sink the boat. That ruins your whole operation. That's a hazard. So you get what Jesus gives to you, according to his promises. And you can be sure of this, that whatever it is, it is good. Now, if you think that this is the extent of the Christian life, moving past, thinking about it as A series of inconveniences moving towards thinking about Jesus' word as what's good for me and what I should obey, regardless of how I feel about it. There's more. The end of the lesson portrays the Christian life in full technicolor. It's not merely inconveniences. It's not just learning that Jesus knows better than you. But look at what Jesus does to Peter. Peter is in despair because he recognizes that he is standing face to face with the living God. Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinner. Peter knows that he cannot stand in God's presence. He knows like Isaiah in the throne room of God. Woe is me, for I am undone. For my eyes have seen the Lord of glory. This is death for me. Depart from me, Lord. Praise be to God that Jesus did not depart from Peter. If Jesus had listened to Peter and left him alone, Peter would have been lost in that despair. Instead, what does Jesus do? do not be afraid. God himself has drawn near to Peter and said to him, do not be afraid. If God himself, the Lord of glory, the maker of the heavens and the earth, the one who sent his son to die on the cross to forgive all your sins, if he says to you, do not be afraid, you have nothing to fear. Not the things that make us afraid in this life, not the things of this world, not the things that are scary around us, not your sin, Not the accusations of the devil, not your feeling of guilt, not the sense that God would not want you. None of those things should make you afraid because God himself has come to you and said, Do not be afraid. It's an absolution. It's the forgiveness of sins. Jesus sets Peter free from everything that had shackled him to this life. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching... Jesus doesn't say it here, but his words to the disciples when he calls them are these. Come, follow me. The greatest miracle in this text is at the very end. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Jesus is not talking to you, not speaking to you, just to get you to put up with some inconveniences and not just to show you up in your profession or in your life, but he's here to call you to follow him. And that means leaving everything behind. It means setting aside all of the things in this life that we love in place of God. It means setting aside all of the things that we hope for, the things that we hope in, which God has not promised. It means leaving them all behind to the point where Jesus himself says, if you do not hate your life, you will lose it. If you do not hate your father or your mother or your brother or your sister or your husband or your wife or your children for my sake, if you do not leave them behind you cannot inherit eternal life leave it all behind somehow Peter does it somehow Peter does it and yet here we are with reservations in our hearts reservations about what it's gonna cost us to follow Jesus reservations about whether he's gonna really keep his promises reservations about whether it can actually be true come follow me Jesus says to you the goal It's not to take things away from you the goal is to give you everything back in eternity the goal is to bless you far more than this life can bless you the goal is to give you things that are permanent and eternal not things that go away not things that disappoint not things that entice you to sin the goal is to give you perfection and love and holiness in his kingdom come follow me leave it all behind jesus says so that you can have it back In purity, and love by faith. Like God said to Abraham, sacrifice your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Not because he hated Abraham, not because he hated Isaac, but because he wanted Abraham to have Isaac rightly. Not as his own that he was holding on to desperately, but according to faith, believing that he had been given to him by God, and that God would support and sustain him in that gift. Come follow me, and we say, Lord, that'll kill me. That'll kill me. It'll be the end of me. And Jesus says, good. That's what I want. I want you dead so that I can raise you again. I want you to die to this life and to yourselves so that you can live in me. I want you to leave behind sin. I want you to turn away from everything that you trust in. I want you to leave it all behind so that you can have my love and my forgiveness. He says, come follow me, and he invites you to follow him to the cross. Where you see not an example, not merely an example, of good works, of love, of righteousness. It's all there. But what you see is God's love poured out for you. For every bit of hesitancy that we have, for every bit of doubt, for every bit of fear, even when Jesus says, do not be afraid, Christ is there on the cross, dying for you. For every time your heart is misled, for every time you think, I can't do it, for every time you say, I don't care what God says, God is there, forgiving your sins. He prays for his enemies. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is all an invitation. It's an invitation for Peter to be an apostle, to be a fisher of men, but it's an invitation for you as well, to stick with Jesus. He is the way and the truth and the life. He is your Savior. He is the one who has given everything up, who left everything behind, to save you, so that you don't have to say, day in and day out, again and again and again, Lord, I have toiled all night and nothing has come of it, but so that you can rejoice in the good things that God accomplishes through you and the blessings that he gives to you. Now, if you want this, if you want to follow Jesus, it's easy to think that there must be something spectacular. There must be some display. There must be some transitional moment where all of a sudden I've dedicated myself to God, but it's not true. It's not true. There don't need to be fireworks. There doesn't need to be a spectacle. In fact, the context just before our Old Testament lesson, this is the last thing I'll leave you with, just before our Old Testament lesson, is Elijah contesting with the prophets of Baal. So these prophets of Baal are worshiping at the behest of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. They're offering sacrifices to a false god. They're sacrificing children. They're doing all kinds of dreadful things. And Elijah challenges them to a contest. You guys set up an altar here on Mount Carmel. And you guys pray to your God all day long and see if he comes and he burns up that sacrifice. And they did. They marched around that altar. They sang songs. They whipped themselves on the back. They prayed desperately and nothing happened. Baal did not answer them. Elijah made fun of them. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. Just wait. He'll come back in a moment. Nothing happened. And then Elijah set up an altar. And he put a sacrifice on it. And he told the servants to douse it with water. And then douse it with water again. And then douse it with water again. And then he prayed to the Lord God that God would show them that he was God Almighty. And in answer to Elijah's prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed everything, licking up all the water that was poured around that altar, a display of God's power far greater than a miraculous catch of fish, a display beyond measure, spectacle, fireworks, some moment that you can really point to and say, there it is. And yet, do you know what happened? Nobody believed. Nobody cared. They said, that guy Elijah, we hate him. And Elijah said, I'm done. I'm quitting. This job stinks. (laughs) I'm going to run away. And that's where we find him in our Old Testament lesson, waiting for God. How does God come to him? How does God encourage him? How does God teach him to follow him, to trust in him? Not with an earthquake, not with a fire, not with a great wind, but with his words, with his voice with his precious words of promise, declaring again and again, I am your Lord, I am your God, I will never leave you or forsake you. If you want to do this, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to live eternally in God's kingdom, listen to your Savior. Listen to him because he loves you and he speaks peace to you, his beloved children. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen. Amen.